I want to give a shout out to Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning into the latest episode of The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at the Block, and we have a very exciting newsy episode for you folks today. I'm pleased to have on the other side of the mic, Michael Sonnenschein, the newly minted CEO of Grayscale, one of the largest, probably the largest asset managers in our little nascent crypto world that's becoming more and more less little as the day goes on. I think we're at about 36 billion in AUM. Michael, I you know, we've we've been friends for a while and I, I hearken back on those early days when, you know, you guys first started chatting with me when I was at Business Insider and you guys managed like one point five or two billion dollars. You were just a, a lowly managing director then. So much has changed. It's so exciting to see. Um, but anyway, we'll talk about maybe some history later in the show. I want to start with this news that you guys have. You guys are hiring. You guys just picked up three pretty significant executives, a new chief operating officer, a new chief compliance officer, and a chief people officer. One of the things that impresses me so much about Grayscale is the lean team that you guys have. You know, you guys are making a lot of money through your products. And what's impressive is there's only, I think, about like 20 to 30 folks on the team, but it seems like we're expanding now. We're going to beef up a little bit. Indeed. Well, Frank, first of all, thanks for having me. It is always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, as you know, over the years, you and I have chatted many times as developments in the space have continued to surface. And it seems like each time we chat, there's you know certainly no shortage of topics to dive into, but certainly no better topic than people uh, who are certainly the core of Grayscale and uh, what, what really makes us tick and makes kind of all the magic happen. So uh, you are right. I am probably my first order of business as the new CEO of Grayscale has really been to focus on building out my leadership team and really, really excited about Hugh, Ben, and Angela joining the team. So where do we stand in terms of headcount? Uh, we're right around 30 people at Grayscale. Um, yeah. And I would suspect that we will probably almost double uh, by the end of 2021, really looking to expand across our sales team, marketing team, engineering team, ops team, uh, really roles across the spectrum, really no matter what your background or skill set is, uh, likely have some open positions at Grayscale. So clearly that's where Angela is going to step in as, as chief people officer. She's served in several different functions at FanDuel, Second Market. So there's some shared history there. Well, yeah, Frank, I'm surprised this one slipped past you. The, I know. The fact that Angela worked at Second Market. So it, typically, typically things do not, but... Okay, well, here's the story. Angela was head of HR at Second Market, which, as you know, is our founder, Barry Silbert's old company, 
uh, that we sold to NASDAQ many years ago and then formed Digital Currency Group. And Angela was actually head of HR at Second Market and was the one who recruited me to work for Barry many, many years ago at Second Market, my very first role with him. And so now it's all come full circle that she's now back at, you know, working with Barry and I as a chief people officer at Grayscale uh, within the Digital Currency Group family. I wonder if she regrets not sticking around. <laughs> Cle clearly, you know, this hire shows that you guys are going to, you know, bring on more folks. Um, chief compliance officer probably going to help you sort of figure out ways to scale the business, you know, chief operating officer, chief compliance officer. So what, what do these hires point to in terms of your guys' ambitions for the next year at Grayscale? I think you've hit the nail right on the head. A lot of it is about scaling. We had a massive 2020. We brought in $5.7 billion last year. Uh, we are launching new products. We're investing in technology. We're building out the various teams. It's really about continuing to stay ahead of the growth that we're experiencing at essentially an, an unprecedented rate. So one of the questions that I think a lot of people have about the future of Grayscale is what happens when a Bitcoin ETF comes online. And it's something I've talked about with folks at the block. This is something people are anticipating potentially for this year. What does that mean for GBTC? And does it mean you guys have to maybe double down on the altcoin funds that you have, or do you move into an ETF? What's the, what's the thinking there? I'm sure this is something the, the new executive team is thinking about. Well, you know, Frank, as you know, and we've probably even spoken about it um, either on your podcast or uh, back in the day at, at BI, but, you know, we spent the better part of 2017 in SEC registration for Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. And we made a lot of progress with the commission and ultimately realized that the regulatory environment wasn't ready for a Bitcoin ETF. And we pulled out of that process and, you know, went back to doing what we do great at Grayscale, which is building investment products and, and working on building our brand and building on our team and the product offerings. And so I think we are certainly encouraged by developments in the market and believe that the market is certainly maturing day by day. And it's really just a matter of when, not a matter of if an ETF for Bitcoin comes along in the U.S. And, you know, we certainly want to be engaged with the regulatory community around it. And we'll look to pursue that uh, when uh, we get the signals that the winds are, are blowing in favor of that type of a product. So Bitcoin ETF gets approved in some version of the future. What happens to GBTC in an ideal world? I think in the future, um, and we have no guarantees that we will do this, but pending regulatory hope, approvals, <laughs> we hope in the future to, uh, like we were planning to in 2017, uh, to register and uplist uh, GBTC onto a national securities exchange as a bona fide ETF. And how would that work? Like, would the, uh, and correct me on the numbers if I'm wrong, I think probably like 80% uh, of your AUM, maybe it's less, maybe it's more, is tied to GBTC. Would that sort of all move over into this new uplifted, to use your word, or upgraded new product? 
Uh, so you're spot on. About 80% of our AUM is, is in the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust amongst you know, the, the nine different products that we have. But yeah, this essentially, um, and there's a whole lot of legalese and interestingly, not a ton of precedent for products that are already trading, that already have a long track record converting into an ETF. And so there's quite a few mechanics that would go into doing so. But essentially, yes, the existing assets, the existing product uh, would become an ETF if all went to plan. I think what's interesting against this backdrop of a potential ETF, obviously there's there's more folks coming into this space looking to offer similar funds from BlockFi, um, and there are quite a number of others who are trying to undercut in cost. But I think the moat you have, and I think it could speak to the strategy that I'd like to unpack with you, is you know you guys are getting further and further down the list of new funds. So even when something like a Bitcoin ETF comes online, you still are offering these funds structured as securities in, in assets that others are not or are far away from offering a product in. And so even when an ETF comes to market, you're still going to have those other altcoin products. Oh, for, certainly. I mean, we are very much committed to continuing to grow the Grayscale product offerings because we're in a really important position within the industry. We're the largest digital currency asset manager in the world. We are constantly being seen and shown different projects and tokens and new elements that are launching within the digital asset ecosystem. We're constantly fielding requests from our investors, either existing or prospective, asking us to launch products around certain areas of the market. And so we maintain at any time, you know, 20, 30, sometimes more product ideas. And so it's always just kind of that reconciliation between what we think is feasible, what we think is going to be a compliant offering what is not you know, going to create operational or um, valuation or other challenges that would prevent us from launching a product and kind of reconciling all of those things to ensure that we're always bringing the absolute best products to market for our investors. And that kind of leads perfectly to my next question, which is about some of the new products we've seen in, in various registrations. There's been Wi-Fi, Sushi, Polkadot, what has, and without speaking maybe specifically to each one, what has sort of made this the right time to kind of explore this, this wide range of, of new assets versus either last year or in years prior? Well, I think it's, it's certainly, again, kind of speaks to what I mentioned about always looking for opportunities um, and opportunities that we can launch to kind of meet rising investor demand. You know, that being said, oftentimes we do make filings that, you know, should be viewed as reservations uh, more than anything else and does not necessarily mean we will be bringing a product into the market. And we will certainly be the first to share, you know, widely and publicly um, when new products are online and are available for investment. How does that thought process work? What goes into considering a new asset and then making um, these reservations, as, as you sort of put it? Well, we have a new product committee at Grayscale. We look at 
uh, tokens, how they were launched, what governs them, what properties are existing in and around the protocol itself, the integrity of the blockchain, legal considerations, is there an addressable market that is compliant and that is accessible, um, is there sound valuation metrics for the market, things of that nature, um, kind of Again, that reconciliation between you know qualitative aspects of a product or a potential product as well as quantitative ones. And then of course, whether or not there's fit with what our investors are interested in deploying capital into. Makes sense. Obviously, you guys are known for the drop gold campaign ad, mm-hmm. which you know, if if you were paying any attention to this market, you would have seen across um, various business channels and the like. This has been a really interesting year for Bitcoin, probably the the most the most interesting this past, you know, t- these past 12 months and it was exactly when we saw Bitcoin as digital gold kind of cement itself in the financial world, Wall Street and beyond. You guys were kind of ahead of the curve there to an extent. Well, thank you, Frank. We 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 think so. Um, but did you, know, you guys, think, yeah, go ahead. I, I think, you know, from our perspective, we were early to identify and start having it come up increasingly in conversations with investors that they were really starting to see overlapping attributes between gold and Bitcoin and, you know, really started to see where Bitcoin was outshining gold were around its portability, divisibility, verifiable scarcity. And it did cause us to really create this advertising campaign, not just to elevate, you know, Grayscale, the brand, recognition and actionability of its products, but really also as kind of a wake-up call to the investment community, to the idea that there are now, in fact, other assets out there that investors may be able to use to serve in their portfolios as a store of value or an inflation hedge or an asset that may be considered a flight to safety when there's uncertainty in the market. And for a lot of investors, historically, that type of asset that filled those types of roles was gold. And uh, maybe we were a little early, maybe our timing was just about right. But you know, we did not view it as being anything even remotely coincidental when we saw some of the largest outflows from gold investment products in the fourth quarter of 2020, when Bitcoin hit you know, all-time highs. And now, even today, just seeing that Bitcoin is still probably only about, you know, maybe not even 10% of the market cap of gold, there feels like, and anecdotally, what we hear from our investors is that there's still a lot more room to run and that many investors really do believe that the near-term use case for investing in Bitcoin is as a digital store of value or a digital gold or a gold that's maybe better suited to the digital and virtual world we're obviously now living in. So did you guys actually see any significant inflows tied to that campaign? Oh, for for sure. I mean, the Drop Gold campaign, you know, I'm blanking on the actual launch date, but if I think about um, running the Drop Gold campaign and then um, re-airing some of the flights during 2020, 2020 allowed us to actually, in terms of inflows, raise more than four times the cumulative inflows we had from 2013 through 2019. So it most certainly felt a material difference on the heels of that campaign. 
makes me think about what the like future strategy will look like. Do you have plans for other campaigns to kind of woo new investors to the firm's products? Well, now it looks like you're asking me for a scoop, Frank. Um, well, I, I've, well, <laughs> I only ask because Barry has hinted at it ad nauseum on Twitter about leveraging Grayscale as this sort of force of information, this force of education within the cryptocurrency market. You know, you guys have made a lot of money in 2020. Is there anything you can share with our, our listeners that would give a hint yes. of? Yes, about yes, how yes. you plan I'm, to do this education. I'm just teasing an old friend. Oh, um, no, no, yeah, no dramas. I have, uh, I think it was probably mid-Jan, no, uh, was it mid-January uh, or, or late uh, late December? I think I actually teased out a couple of um, a couple of photos on Twitter showing some kind of behind-the-scenes images from the upcoming advertising campaign that Grayscale is going to be launching. Um, and I left it purposefully a little bit opaque. And I think some folks in the community were a little bit disappointed that we did not air something during this year's Super Bowl. Um, and so to those folks we disappointed, I apologize. But I also would say, you know, it'll be worth the wait. Um, we're very excited about the new campaign we'll be launching uh, a little bit later this year and are uh, now just working through uh, post-production and getting everything ready to, to bring it to market. So that's on like the marketing advertising side. On the operations side, has the mandate or scope of what you guys are trying to do, has it, has it changed or increased in any way? You know, it's, it, it's, it's very simple to understand Grayscale's business, right? There's products that you guys structure as securities to make investing in these assets, easy, regulatory compliant uh, for larger investors, high net worth individuals. Is there any way you guys are thinking about offering different types of products or working with various institutions to kind of, you know, maybe have those products offered in different ways that are different from the way they're offered now? Well, I think from an operational mandate as a business, we're certainly investing heavily in technology and automation to make investors' experience with Grayscale as seamless and as easy as possible. That being said, I, I do think over time, some of the products we offer you know, will push us into new product types or new offerings or available to different types of investors. Um, and so in that sense, we are certainly not as a business or as a team, you know, resting on our laurels. But if anything, or uh, if anything is kind of characteristic of, of the team at Grayscale, it's always uh, kind of pushing into new territory. Yeah. What would what would be a territory that would make you the most excited? Oh, I think, you know, bringing and, and, and you know, being able to stake our flag in, in, in things like being the first to have a you know publicly traded bitcoin investment product that has you know now gone on to be the world's largest bitcoin investment vehicle by many 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 multiples you know those types of things are uh, the things that keep us really invigorated and excited and, and humbled to really be a you know mature and compliant and accessible way to have the investment community trust us with their digital asset exposure. 
Um, so those are the kinds of things that, that keep our team motivated and excited to keep innovating and doing what we do best. There's also, you know, rising competition in the market. We see a number of new entrants trying to undercut from a fee perspective. How do you fend that competition off? And do you anticipate that fees will, will suppress not only across the market, but at Grayscale? See, but that's just the thing, Frank. It is articles that get written about this that make it look like it's competition. And we could not take a more 180 view on that. We actually think, wholeheartedly believe that as more products come to market, as more avenues get opened for investors to be able to access this asset class, that all of these products, all of these services, all of these um, new channels that provide a springboard to digital currency investing can all collectively help us as a group grow the pie together and that a rising tide will lift all boats. And so if some folks want to become a new market entrant and be able to you know, potentially garner interest or participation by undercutting us or undercutting others on fees or you know other areas where they think that they may give them an edge or be able to market themselves in a differentiated way to investors you know we we certainly say you know welcome you know come to the table there's plenty of seats there's plenty of food to go around we certainly believe that grayscale cannot be the only business out there that is publishing uh, you know, thoughtful research and content and helping investors dispel preconceived notions about the asset class or helping them figure out what portfolio construction looks like with digital assets and can not only you know, be the only provider of investment solutions that help investors access this. And so it's just a, another reminder from our seat that it is in fact still such early days for this asset class. 2020 demonstrated for a lot of investors the staying power and the resiliency of the asset class. Um, and we really feel that despite the massive growth, despite the massive price runs we've seen, really and truly still feels like it's early days and that we're just getting started. Tides will lift the boats, but will we see fees come down, do you think? Absolutely. If you look at any other asset class, you can look at how many different gold products there are, how many different REITs there are, how many different S&P 500 linked investment products there are. There has always been a perpetual race to the bottom on these fees, um, and fees matter. And I think it's early days, not only because it is early days for this asset class, but it is early days to start seeing meaningful fee compression. Um, the same fee arrangements are just not applicable to what they are for digital assets. There's a lot more true costs that go into running these types of products, as well as the market dynamics on the underlying coins themselves. So sure, over time, fees will definitely come down. But I don't think that investors should expect that there is going to be a massive fee war or some massive or very fast race to the bottom, um, the way that we've seen that in the you know traditional equities world uh, for specific products. Because there are these unique dynamics in crypto. Indeed. Yeah. And we see that in not just asset management, but in trading as well. The fees are kind of 
very stubborn in many respects because of the added regulatory costs, the nascent nature of the market. So there are a lot of different factors at play there. I want to take a moment to thank Kraken, our sponsor. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Whether it's your first trade or your 100th, Kraken has the tools to help you hit your financial goals in crypto. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their staking service, which is industry leading. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20 percent each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. I want to pivot now to sort of the company culture. Um, you guys have recently moved from New York. You guys are based in Fairfield County. I won't divulge the exact address. Um, I won't dox you guys, but it's an interesting place to be. I'm sure there's some tax dynamic that plays into it, but folks, who listen to the show will be familiar with the fact that in its own respect, Fairfield, Connecticut is a hub of various big pocketed investors and money managers and hedge funds. What does being there mean for Grayscale in terms of how it wants to be identified? I think what makes Grayscale um, such a unique business really and truly is its people. And Frank, this is not this is not lip service. You know, I've been with the firm since pretty much day one, and have been at the helm of a lot of, if not all, of the hiring uh, decisions and, and people decisions. And I couldn't be more excited to now have, you know, a chief people officer as part of my leadership team to help continue to execute on that vision. But our people are really the core of what we do. You know, Grayscale is a company that is inclusive. It's a company that is agile. Um, our employees are transparent uh, with each other on what they're doing um, and working to support one another. I think everybody, for the most part, has really taken their experience from traditional finance experiences on Wall Street at major banks or, you know, white glove, you know, law firms and, and other organizations where there's a lot more red tape and a lot more process and procedure built in and are really applying the best of those experiences to showing up at Grayscale every day and building something together. There's this shared sense that we're all working to build a business from the ground up together and are doing our best to leave behind the aspects of working in those large institutions um, that slow things down, that stifle growth, that stifle innovation, and trying to leave those behind. And um, our move out of the city, I think, kind of speaks to the inflection point that the business is in, where headcount is growing significantly, and we need a lot more space um, to keep up with, uh, with growth. And uh, very excited about uh, setting up our, our new office, but certainly in the meantime, amidst COVID, the team has done a phenomenal job transitioning to working from home, being able to support and onboard um, all the new hires that we've had throughout the pandemic and really continuing to, to work collaboratively despite being physically distanced. Yeah, it's been an interesting period for the market. I certainly miss my, my colleagues at the office very much, although Stephen would probably disagree with that sentiment, <laughs> bothering him too much. 
Um, you know, it's amazing what a little bit of technology can do to uh, make us all feel connected. And so despite the kind of Zoom fatigue that many folks may have, we're um, as productive and as hungry as ever to, you know, keep building the business as a team. And as that business grows, I'm sure you have your own expectations for it, your own KPIs looking towards the end of the year. Um, where where are we AUM-wise? What do you anticipate? That would be so tough to say, Frank. Um, you 50 know, we, billion, 100 billion? Well, you know that we publish a quarterly report that is you know very widely watched and, and scrutinized and you've done some good reporting on it as has your, your the rest of your team and you know that report quarterly reveals the asset raising across the grayscale family of products and looks to extrapolate trends in what investors are doing and has often really been viewed as the de facto sentiment indicator for investment in the space and so on the heels of a year where we raised, you know, almost six billion dollars in 2020, you know, as a as a small preview, because I like you, Frank, um, I'll tell you that that momentum is certainly carrying into 2021, and I actually uh, am of the belief that it seems to be accelerating. What do you think is driving interest in some of the more altcoin funds? You know, we talked about Bitcoin as digital gold. What what are investors seeing? and those assets as the opportunity? Oh, I mean, it's it's a shared uh, belief that this asset class is something beyond just Bitcoin, the staying power of a lot of these other assets, the traction that they're getting, the use cases being developed on top of them, and, um, and also certainly the performance. Um, a lot of these altcoins have performed phenomenally for a lot of investors, and so, there is, I think, quite largely now a shared appreciation that, you know, for for many of these investors, digital currency exposure is is certainly a great diversifier in their portfolios. But why not look at having the diversification benefits of having diversified exposure within your digital currency allocation as well? One thing that we've noticed in those funds are the higher premiums for some of the altcoins. What do you think is driving that? And what do these new folks looking to invest in these products think about some of those premiums? I think many investors, from my view of this, aren't necessarily, and from your perspective as well, Frank, we're not necessarily looking at an apples to apples comparison, right? A lot of these products um, have shorter track records of you know public trading history compared to some others, and so over time, you know they will find a better footing in the market um, as the funds grow larger, as liquidity increases, as more market makers come into them. Um, so it's really tough to say. It's interesting, um, you know, so much has changed about the market, about grayscale over the past two, three years. We kind of have chatted about that. I want to want to get your perspective on Wall Street and how they're sort of moving into crypto. We've seen a number of different announcements of firms exploring custody, of firms exploring trading these assets. I think JP Morgan's uh, COO said today, this morning on CNBC, that they would actually explore 
trading Bitcoin if it was something that their clients would want them to do. In what ways can, and I kind of asked this in a, in a previous question to an extent, but to be more specific, in what ways can Grayscale work with Wall Street to push its product suite? I mean, I, I would actually say Grayscale is already working uh, with Wall Street. I think one of the narratives that we've seen for quite some time now is kind of when is all the institutional capital coming into this asset class and institutional capital has been flowing into Grayscale for the last 18 to 24 months and just continues to grow. Um, we've spent and continue to spend a lot of our time uh, with bulge bracket banks, hedge funds, pensions, endowments, you know, private wealth platforms. You know, this is something that has really gone from having the career risk of of being associated with doing something in crypto to now kind of the career risk of not doing something in crypto. And, um, you know, everybody is probably across the spectrum at a slightly different stage of, of being uh, kind of skeptic to, to believer. Um, but ultimately, as crypto continues to pervade all of the financial services incumbents, you know, whether we're seeing announcements like you mentioned from JP Morgan or recently from MasterCard or PayPal or Visa or BNY Mellon or, you know, whatever it may be, it is forcing the hand of a lot of other folks who may have historically ignored or kind of pushed their crypto efforts to the back burner. So what type of conversations are you having with some of the bold bracket banks? What you know, opportunities do they see in the market right now? And, and how does Grayscale fit into that? Well, I think for many of these uh, financial institutions, their clients are, they're, they're learning very quickly that their clients have already or are now um, or historically have gotten involved in crypto. And that's a loss for, for those firms. That means capital, investable capital is leaving those firms and going to places like Grayscale um, or going into digital currency exchanges or, you know, order books. And so I think many of them are realizing that if they want to shore up that capital and, and ensure that it remains with them, as it does in the case of those investors, other investable assets that may be sitting in stocks and bonds and, you know, other investment strategies that they need to ensure they have a crypto offering available to their clients. Mm -hmm. And where do you think we'll see adoption ramp up over the next, you know, let's say till the end of the year, we've seen this trend of large corporations allocating to Bitcoin as part of a treasury allocation strategy. In terms of the wealth management space where you guys sit, is it private banking offerings that maybe ramp up? Is it the IRAs? or some combination of the two and others? Where do we see uh, adoption in wealth management specifically? You know, I think you're going to see this across the board this year. I mean, one of the items we highlighted in our Q4 year-end report was that you were going to see the participation of a lot more corporate actors putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And, you know, we just saw Tesla do that in a meaningful way. And now reports of even more companies joining Tesla and, and, and Square and MicroStrategy and some of the others that have begun to do so. 
and so I think that each one of those businesses is is led by a visionary leader. Um, these are disruptive companies uh, in their respective fields, and you're going to, I believe, continue to see that happening at other firms because if you're a CFO or a treasurer, you're looking for growth. You're looking at the devaluation of the dollar. Uh, you're in a low rate environment and you're looking for growth and, and to protect your balance sheet. And I think similarly, if you're in a fiduciary capacity as a financial advisor, uh, overseeing assets for individuals or, or family or clients, uh, you're also trying to navigate a low rate environment and trying to find new opportunities to generate alpha for clients. And we'll increasingly see them moving towards assets like crypto. Why aren't firms allocating to GBTC on their balance sheet? What's going on here? Um, I actually think they are in many cases. A lot of firms, um, as you know, Frank, GBTC, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, um, is an SEC reporting company. It's the only Bitcoin investment vehicle that's SEC reporting. And so there are a lot of investors who do have public reporting obligations. And so you do see GBTC showing up in the hands of a lot of different very large managers um, inside mutual funds, inside ETFs. So over time, uh, I think that this has become and will continue to become a compliant and operationally sound solution for a lot of these types of investors to be able to put Bitcoin exposure in their portfolio. Are you seeing publicly traded companies come to you guys and figure out how they could get Bitcoin on their balance sheet through Grayscale? We are talking to a lot of different types of investors at the moment. I would say now the only investor type that is not represented within the Grayscale family uh, would be a sovereign, like a nation state um, or someone um, like that. Um, outside of that, you know, we're, we have a very large and, and uh, diverse group of investors that are, are leveraging our product suite. When sovereign? <laughs> oh, I knew if I said sovereign, you'd ask me that, Frank. I mean, let's think about it, right? It's, it's funny. I think many times we start getting pushback that, you know, perhaps Bitcoin is held in the hands of too few individuals and it's maybe not as decentralized as we think it is. Well, that's kind of irksome, if you ask me, because look at something like gold. Who owns most of the gold? Where is most of the gold? It's on the balance sheets of all the sovereigns, right? It's in all the central banks. Um, and I think as this rotation out of gold and into Bitcoin continues, which, you know, signs point to uh, that rotation, you know, being a real thing. And I'm not saying that gold will cease to exist or Bitcoin will completely displace gold or anything of that nature. Not at all. I think that those types of movements that we're seeing, which are pretty dramatic, may ultimately be some of the types of catalysts that could force sovereigns to be rethinking part of their gold allocations. And, and think about that money moving into assets like Bitcoin. Interesting. And that's kind of the underpinning theme that we've seen take hold of the market over the past year, Bitcoin as this form of gold um, or this digital gold. It's been wild. It's been a wild, wild ride. And now you guys are in the thick of it all. You guys, you know, I, I want to see some big hedge funds pick up some GBTC now that you're in their backyard. 
<laughs> we will see. We will see. Have you bumped into any of them at the country club yet or what's the deal? Well, we are. Well, doing... I guess it's COVID. So there's no, co yeah, there's I no mean, country on, club, virtual country club. We are, we are doing everything we can um, to be safe and, uh, you know, be socially distanced. And we hope that, you know, everybody listening to this is, is safe and, and, is, and is being socially distant and, and wearing masks and doing everything they can to protect themselves and, and their loved ones as well. So how can you convince, you know, that, that's something that's interesting. How do you convince folks to make a big allocation via Zoom? What's that? We're doing like? a lot of video calls. Frank. Yeah. Uh, not this know, one though. We, you know, I don't have one, a, I don't have a face is, for TV. It is, it is interesting um, how, um, how willing folks are, are uh, these days to, you know, hop on a video call. Um, you're able to get a pretty massive group of people together and uh, how productive those conversations can be. And I think that this is one of those conversations. Michael Sonnenschein, CEO at Grayscale Investments. Thank you so much for hopping on the show. Congrats on the new role. Congrats on the hires. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Frank. Great to chat to you.